Mac Power Users, episode 638, a Mac setup consulting company. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I am good, David. How are you? I'm doing excellent, Stephen. I am uh, looking forward to doing another feedback show. It's been a while and we've got a lot of it in the in the feedback pile here. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, things are good. You know, I was telling you before we started, the end of the school year is coming. I've got... Uh, two middle schoolers and a, and a first grader. And so it's a little hectic around the, the uh, Hackett household the next couple yeah. of weeks, but it's all good stuff. And I'm looking forward to uh, everyone being home over summer break. Yeah. I was telling you, my, my oldest daughter has been a middle school teacher all year. She teaches video production, but she's getting her master's. So she's like a student teacher, but she's been uh, in class every day at the middle school, but then she goes to college every night and, I think nobody is looking forward more to school ending this year than her. <laughs> she's <sure>. so ready. <laughs> but the, uh, she's had a good time, but she's, she's wore out. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I am just having a great time here and uh, loving being Max Sparky full time. I haven't, I guess I should check in on that really quick. You know, it's kind of weird. A lot of people wrote me when I first made my big announcement, talking to me how I would mourn being an attorney and to tell you the truth. I haven't missed it a bit, you know, and uh, uh, largely because this community has been so supportive. I've got so many wonderful emails from people and a lot of people came in and supported the Max Sparky Labs. And I've had a really good time doing that kind of stuff and uh, just making more Mac power users and, you know, working on field guides. It's a uh, I live a charmed life, Stephen. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad it's gone so well. And I know as a member, I've really enjoyed what you've been putting out. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you for a second about the uh, Sparky Labs podcast that you've added. Yeah, that uh, that's a new thing. I am, um, you know, because uh, the back end is memberful, a sometimes sponsor of the Mac Power users, they have a mechanism where you can have podcasts. And yep. <laughs> I know the, it well. The, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you, you use it, right? I mean, don't you use it with 512 pixels? Uh, well, that's what all of Relay's membership runs on. And that's, so that's right. Yeah. more power user listeners are listening through a memberful feed right now. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I realized they could do it, but I wasn't sure what I would put in it. And uh, one thing I knew I wanted to put in it was audio feeds for some of the content. Like I do these Friends of Dave interviews where I talk to somebody about something interesting and that stuff, a lot of it would be just as good in audio as it would as a video interview. So, uh, and I also do the the monthly meetups for the levels two and three people where we have like a virtual meetup and some people wanted to hear that. And I do the deep dives to the level three people. And so there was some existing content that I thought would make sense as audio. In fact, for a while as a test, I've just been releasing the audio files from it and people seem to like that. So that was a beginning point, but now I'm also kind of having some more fun with it, um, I think I'm going to be, I don't want to really promise it because you never know, right? But I'm going to think I'm going to be doing a weekly, very short podcast out to everyone at all levels. And uh, I think we're going to call it lab notes, you know, just kind of news of the week and interesting things that is on my mind with the technology. And uh, I don't know, man, I am just, uh, you know, it is weird. I mean, it was a 15 year kind of lead up to this life mm -hmm. that I have now, but I don't, you know, it, it's, it's like one of those things where it's all going so well that you're almost nervous, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> I get like it. This, how is this going so well? I love it so much. And, uh, 
man, I am like, uh, I did a thing where I did an online, um, uh, I, you know, I signed up for an online account and they said, what is your dream job? And the dream job, I, I have it. I have my dream job. So I, I don't know. I couldn't be more happy. No, it's awesome. And I think the podcast stuff is such a, a good fit for, for your membership. I mean, you're right. Five yeah. pixels has a membership. It's on it, but I do a newsletter. I don't do any audio currently, but yeah, all of relays membership feeds, there's like 10 or 12 of them. Now they're yeah. all through memberful and it's so easy. And you know, you can just subscribe like right in line with your other podcasts, which, which I like, you know, if I had to go someplace special to hear it, I may be less likely to do that. So I think yeah. you're doing it the right way. Uh, I'm enjoying yeah. it. And- and they made it so I could make a separate feed for each level of membership. So, you know, the higher tiers of membership are going to get more stuff. And uh, it's very easy to do. I mean, this isn't a memberful commercial. They're not sponsoring today's show. But they they have been really good to me. Like, one of the things I wanted to do was make RSS feeds for the various levels where you could just get the content for your subscription level. Mm-hmm. And originally there were some problems with it. It didn't work exactly right. And team memberful like jumped in and they like kind of rewrote back in code for me to make that work. The The way I was doing it with the levels of membership I had, they hadn't really hit that problem yet, but they fixed the whole platform for me. And I, I thought that was really nice of them. That's cool. Anyway. Yeah. Things are good. Uh, on more power users today, I want to talk about keyboards because uh, you and I, uh, share screenshots and pictures with each other all the time. And I've noticed like changes in your keyboards and there've been changes in mine too. And um, we're not going to go full Hurley on you today and more power users, but I think we have to like check in on our keyboards. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, let's, um, let's dig in on all this feedback, uh, starting with preview. That was a, a really fun episode. Uh, I always love it when we can dig in deep on one, you know, thing. And uh, there was a lot of good feedback in the uh, in the in the uh, in the Discord forum on it. Of course, we'll put a link to that in show notes. But uh, several folks wrote in to point out that you can hold Option to get Save As back in the file menu. And I swore we had said that, but I went back and listened, and we didn't. You know, sometimes when you get recording, you miss a point, mm-hmm. and we we definitely missed that one. But yeah, you hold down the Option key if you got the, if you don't like that duplicate and save in the uh, file menu. If you hold Option key, that'll come back. Yeah, I thought we had said it too, and I went back and listened. I was like, nope, we just totally didn't. Uh, and yeah. I will say, like, if you're not if if you're not re- regularly utilizing the Option key across mac os just spend some time in your favorite applications you know open a menu and then press the option key and you will see menu items change and it's not just uh apple like first party applications like i'm in chrome right now and even even chrome which does some weird stuff on mac os has several things that it it does differently if the option key is held down and it's like this whole like second level of keyboard shortcuts, which already admittedly not everyone knows about. But if you know that it's like a super modifier where you can do even more interesting things and sometimes some things you honestly just can't do otherwise. Um, so, yeah, if you're if you've got that, that Mac app that you use a lot, hold on option, go hang out in the menus for a while, click through them and you may find some functionality that you were unaware of it's it's really pretty powerful 
And I know we mentioned this in the menu bar show that we did like, I guess a couple of years ago now. Um, but if you hold down the option key while you have a menu item selected, you often will get little surprises there too. And uh, it's a great way to get kind of additional data out of your menu bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Not cool. every app does it, but the cool ones do. Yeah, like right now I'm in the Wi-Fi menu bar item and uh, you know you can you can see additional things uh the time machine one that lets you do some different things um it's it's a good good power user tip i think for for all mac os users to to learn more yeah um zooming zooming turns out uh so chris heilman on twitter uh had this this tweet i will have it in the in the show notes where if you have a a document open in preview and you hold the back tick or the tilde key, you know, the key right under escape, it will, it's kind of like an iOS style zoom. Uh, So right now I have a PDF open. It's of a letter. And so at the top it has, you know, my address, it has the address of who sent it to me, has their letterhead. And with this key held down, it shows me like, a, a zoomed in area over those different sections of yeah. the, of the document, just like on, this is really most noticeable on the iPad. I think like if you're, if you're on a non uh, optimized website, right. And even in like the original iPad keynote, Steve jobs, so he would like double tap a section of the New York times web page and it would zoom into that section. It's using the similar kind of logic to figure out like the sections of the PDF or, or parts of an image and you can just you can just move your cursor around with that key held down and it will just give you a zoom little pop-up window. You can see things a little bit bigger. Super cool feature. I didn't even come across this while reading Apple's documentation about preview. Uh, so thanks to Chris for pointing it out because it is uh, it's really pretty handy. Yeah, this isn't one where we missed in the outline. I don't think either one of us had any idea this feature existed. I know I didn't. <laughs> I didn't either. So I love it when the audience can can teach us something, and and uh, thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, another one that we got feedback on um, that I was aware of, but I'd never I never really find use for is new from Clipboard. There's a file menu in Preview where you can create a new item from your clipboard. So if you copy an image or anything and then you hit file new from clipboard it creates a new preview uh file from the clipboard uh i think this is probably most useful for screenshots yes i think so too though my workflow for that is frankly i still get the um you know the preview when i shoot a screenshot Mm -hmm. uh, the way i have it doing and then i can open and preview from there that's usually the workflow i still haven't sunk in with that that clipboard app that everybody loves so much, the screenshot app. What is it? Cleanshot uh, X? Yeah, I was going to say Cleanshot X does or, or has a similar UI where you get a little preview in the, the corner of the screen of your screenshot. And if you hover over it, you get two options. You get copy and save. Save will just put it on your desktop wherever you have it, you know, set to save to. But on occasion, actually, probably more than occasion, probably four times out of 10, I feel like. I'm basically just doing a screenshot and you just need to paste it directly into like Slack or Discord or iMessage or mail or something. I don't actually need the file itself. I just kind of need the data in the file. So I'll I'll just copy it. Uh, But then if I do need to actually save it, then I could go and paste it into a new document and preview. So it's uh, 
that's really how I use this most often is is with screenshots. It's rare that I have any other sort of imagery on my clipboard when I'm not like toggling between multiple Photoshop documents or something, right? Like if I'm working on something, say I'm working on some, uh, you know, some design for an MPU thing, I may open our Photoshop file that has, has all of our assets in it and may copy something, but that's just going to stay within Photoshop. But I think if you're dealing a lot with screenshots, especially if you're like me and you have a tendency just to, you just need to paste them somewhere. You don't actually need to save them. This is kind of like a nice backstop if you do realize, oh, you know what? Actually, it would be better if I could save this file for whatever reason. Now, when you installed uh, CleanShot X, did you reset all the shortcuts to replace the built-in screenshot? Yes, it is completely like using the the old school Mac OS 10 like grab keyboard shortcuts. Um, and uh, so I never see or use the the system utility anymore. So did you have to turn off the ones for the built built in ones? Yeah, I forget. I think I had to go into the uh the new Keyboard screenshot yeah. app. And I think I had to tell it, or I think I had to like uh, turn off its keyboard shortcuts. I forget exactly the process. I think there was a help document on the CleanShot X website, kind of telling you how to do that. Yeah, so I downloaded CleanShot X. I think it's. I think I got it as part of my subscription with a setup, mm-hmm. and I hit the screen where it says, "Oh, now you have to unmap all your existing and then remap." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't have time for this." And <laughs> that, that that's where it ended for me. So I'm going to. I just added OmniFocus, set up CleanShot X. I'm going to do whatever it takes to set all that up and and try to. I to be honest, I'm pretty efficient with the built-in one. I mean, mm-hmm. I know all the terminal commands to turn off the shadows and all that stuff. So, like I I I just haven't felt that motivated, but I think I need to like just throw all the switches and get it working for me and then yeah. and see if it's worth it or not. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. It's one thing that it does is it gives you a service where you can upload screenshots of the web. I don't use that functionality. Yeah. You know, I, I have just basically a folder on the 512 pixels server that, that things just go in. And in fact, a lot of images for like our show notes end up there. And I just link to them because yeah. they're just on the web. Uh, but it does do a lot more than just what the built-in screenshot tools do. But I will say since Apple overhauled that, I think in Mojave maybe is when Grab became screenshot and it gained all these extra tools like the need for a third party screenshot utility definitely isn't as high as it once was there's a few things I like about cleanshot x better than the systems uh tools and so i uh, you know i've been happy with it. i've been using it maybe six months at the really at the behest of mike hurley and uh, i think he was onto something with it all right well i'm going to take the extra steps necessary to install and use cleanshot x maybe i'll report back on the next feedback episode but i i am going to t- I, I feel like it's like i'll bring me like five minutes of work to kind of get all everything hooked up but i just couldn't get over that hump the first time i saw it yeah no i i get it and you know anytime you have like turn off something in the system like it always makes me think too i get it do you um do you think screenshots is like a thing that bloggers and podcasters worry about and nobody else worries about? I feel like to a certain extent, this is like a a problem for like nerds like us, and most people don't take that many screenshots. But I'd be curious. Let us know in the forums what you're using screenshots for. I, I mean, uh, judging how many times one of my parents sends me a photograph of their laptop screen. Yeah. <laughs> that's a thing. 
but I think it's maybe more common. Like, I mean, again, maybe I'm relying on my background. Like before this, I worked at a design agency, right? Where like we lived and died by sharing screenshots and Slack. Yeah. Well, but that, even then, that's pretty specialized. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Uh, as a lawyer, I used to use them because people would put stuff on the web that became like evidence. Mm. And then they would pull it down later, so I would always screenshot it. But but I actually preferred doing that. Uh, PDF Pen had a feature where it would capture the whole website. I would rather do that than screenshots. But for a lot of like people that weren't as tech savvy as me, they would use screenshots. So maybe I'm imagining it. But I, I do feel like um, there are, there's a whole like subgroup of Mac users out there that have no idea that screenshots exist. <laughs> Probably so. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. 1Password is the only tool that I trust to keep my passwords safe and secure, synced across all of my devices. The thing is, you can do everything right, but you can still have data exposed. The first quarter of 2020, for instance, saw almost 3,000 reported data breaches. And the third quarter of that year, saw 8.3 billion pieces of data exposed by breaches. That's a big deal. That's one reason I really like the Watchtower feature in 1Password. It will alert you if you have an account that has been compromised, and it'll let you go in and change your password. Keeping up with this is just impossible, but 1Password makes it really easy to make sure that your stuff is secure and that it stays secure. With 1Password for Teams and 1Password for Families, I know that all of my logins, both at work and at home, are safe and secure. And I can share those with people in my life, people at work at Relay FM, my wife at home, meaning that uh, we can share accounts and we can easily log into things we need to. I can change a password. I don't have to remember to go change it in her vault because it all just syncs. Seriously, 1Password doing it with other people makes it so much better. So if you want to learn more, head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial and you'll get 20% off. That's onepassword.com slash MPU. Time tracking. We just did this last week, Stephen, and we had so much feedback on it. You know, um, I, I've had got a lot of email from people asking me for more details about time tracking. In fact, I'm going to be recording this afternoon an extended video for the labs members on time tracking because I think we we touched a nerve. How much of that feedback has been around how many <laughs> how many timers you have yeah. saved in timery? Because uh, so behind the scenes, like you had shared that screenshot that was in the show notes, you put it in our Google Doc. But the way Google Doc works, like if it's really bad with images and if an image passes a page break then you can't see the whole thing unless you like pull it out of there which is like a whole nother pain in the butt to get images out of a google doc and so i went through the thing i exported the photo and I opened it in a preview and i literally out loud said holy crap like why are yeah. there so many timers in here i know you explained it on the show that you you track a lot of things and you want a lot of detail but it sort of surprised me like oh, there's like four dozen things in here and I have 14. <laughs> I was kind of like ready during the show to defend myself and you never like came at me. Yeah. So now well, I'm, here I'm I prepared. Am. <laughs> now, now I'm unprepared. I don't have my like my <laughs> thoughts clear on this. But what I will tell you is I've been time tracking for probably about five years now and it has grown over time, you know, and 
uh, unlike you, I don't just track work time. Like if you look at my personal timers, there's about, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me right now. There's probably about 12 of them in there. And some of them probably should go away. Like I have one in there for video gaming and I haven't played a video game in like 10 months. So I probably don't need that one, but it just depends, you know, on what I'm doing in my life. But yeah, so the personal ones, there's quite a few in there that I could probably get rid of. And, uh, but you know, that that's just kind of the degree of onion slicing I decided Mm -hmm. to do on this. And some things have gone up and down. Like when I first started tracking podcasting, as I talked about in the show, I tracked planning, production or recording the show in post-production and now i just plan, i just track the show mm-hmm. um, so it just depends on you know what i want and and i'm constantly using that data to try and figure out you know where my time sinks are where i am spending my time that i shouldn't be or where i'd like to spend more time i i use them in a lot of different ways so i need kind of of good data for it and mm-hmm. the other thing is with all the automation stuff i really found that it, you know, having extra categories doesn't matter so long as you're consistent with them. And that's why I feel like the saved timers and timery or um, project timers and timing are really important because that allows you to really kind of have data you can use. Uh, if you have like random names and you have multiple names for the same project, the data get, turns into garbage pretty bad pretty yeah. quickly. One thing I do to help sort of keep that organized, and I have far fewer than you do, I may have mentioned this, so forgive me if it's if I'm repeating myself, but the colors I use in Timery, so like Relay is blue, Podcast are green, 512 is orange. Uh, those are the colors I also use in Todoist for projects associated with those areas of responsibility. And so yeah. my Relay administrative projects are always blue. and podcast products are always green and that that has for like for some reason really worked for me and you may be thinking steven you don't like tags this is basically a form of tagging like i hear you you're not wrong but in my mind like when i look at my reports in timery or if i use toggles reports on on the website i can almost like not have to read the labels to get a, a really quick overview to see like what big buckets did my time go into yeah, I totally get that. In fact, I did an audit after the show last week because if you listen to the show, I was slowly talking myself into just using the timing app. You definitely were. <laughs> and by the end, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it because it's been like a year since I tried that. And I don't even remember why I stopped doing it. Part of the reason was is I wanted to write about Timery and um, they were making a bunch of changes. So I needed to use them both. But momentum was carrying me through. So I, after the show, I audited just to make sure all my projects were really clean and timing app. And I've only been using timing for the last week. And I've decided I'm going to run this experiment through the end of May and just see how it goes. So I'm not using Timery. Uh, So I guess maybe I should share a little bit of that. That's what the big video going out in the labs this week is going to be. I'm going to show exactly how I set it up and what I'm doing. So if you're a labs member, actually, if you're a labs member, you will have already seen it by the time the show publishes. But either way, um, so the first thing I did was I just kind of cleaned up my categories and I nested in, in uh, previous iterations, I kept field guides and um, podcasts separate from Max Sparky. 
because of the way Timery displays reports. It just, I thought it was cleaner, but with the way timing does reports, I can slice it easier. So I went ahead and just put those in Max Sparky because that's really what they are. And now when I get the big Max Sparky number, it includes time spent on field guides and podcasts because they those are subcategories of that right. part of my life. Yeah. So I fixed that. Um, I used Apple Six Colors for the categories. Nice. And then I also transitioned those same colors over to my calendar colors because I roughly have calendars that equate to all of these. And, you know, that's another thing where I've gone overboard with, uh, I have a lot of calendars, but I went ahead and matched the Apple six colors, um, colors to it. It, it, Just recently, I've kind of embraced the six colors. That's number one, because I like and respect our pal, Jason Snell, and he has a great website called six colors, but also just, I like the Apple six colors and I think it kind of fits. So if you look at the Max Sparky website, all the highlight colors are Apple six colors. And then, uh, I've just I've built it into my my drafts. Um, you know how drafts has template mm-hmm. co- like you can set my drafts colors, my obsidian, all, all the stuff. I've just kind of slowly migrated that look into all the stuff I'm doing. So I put it into timing as well. So I set up the projects in a way, and I've been using it for a week. And I'll tell you that um, you know it's nice just having one, and the the automatic tracking is the selling point. You know, like if I lose track for a while, like uh, just yesterday we had this really, you want a quick, funny story? Of course. Okay. So, you know, we have a lot of wildlife where I live. And, yes. Uh-huh. Um, I think I sent you the picture when the hawk crashed into my house recently. So I've always, I'm always a little nervous about letting the dog on the backyard alone. I don't want her to get like hit a rattlesnake or something, but there is one squirrel in particular. His name, is, we've named him Mor- Moriarty uh, because he is my dog's nemesis and Moriarty <laughs> knows of my dog. You know, he knows him. Moriarty knows of my dog and Moriarty stops in the fence and looks through the window. And my dog is right now, as we sit here sitting on the back of the, the chair that faces that window. She literally spends probably three or four hours a day waiting for Moriarty to come to our backyard. And <laughs> so yesterday, uh, and my fear, is, I, I kind of like that she chases him. I'm a little afraid she's going to catch him one day. And so yesterday she was in the backyard and Moriarty came in the yard, not realizing she was already in the yard. And the dog chased Moriarty up to the top of a tree. And um, Moriarty was at the top of the tree and my dog stopped barking. I realize now that when she wants to truly murder something, she will not bark. She'll mm. just wait. And so she's mode. just sitting. Yeah, she's just waiting, you know, silent killer. And she's sitting. So I go outside. She's sitting under the tree, the squirrel at the top of the tree. And she's just waiting for the squirrel to come down so she can murder it. And I didn't really want her to murder the squirrel. So I kind of shoot her aside. And then the squirrel races down the tree, jumps on the fence. In fact, I have a video of this. Maybe I should share that. You think the audience would care? You guys want this video? I'll put it. I'll yes. put a link in. And so she she uh, <laughs> she takes off like a bat out of hell, and the squirrel takes off, and she misses it. But I come back to my computer like ten minutes later, and timing's like, "Hey, you've been gone for like fifteen minutes. What's going on?" And so I I log that time to a dog care, you know. <laughs> and, but but that's the advantage of timing is that it like keeps track of that for you and. Uh, And so as a result, my time data is better. And as I said in the show last week, I don't think you should be worried about the minutes and the seconds. This is more of an hours thing, but still just, you know, because I work so much at my Mac, uh, timing is probably the best tool for me to do this. 
and um, and being able to go at the end of the day and log time away and stuff. It's a quick mouse drag and and typing in of a project. Uh, another thing I like about timing is I can put in more details about something. Like I spent a bunch of time this morning on a labs project and uh, I was able to identify specifically which project it was. So if I came back and looked at that, I would have that data. And um, just in general, it's been working out pretty well. I suspect by the end of May, I'm going to be pretty happy just using timing, but I'm still going to put my you know toes into timery once in a while because I feel like kind of with, with my job, I need to be up to date on the tools that people are using. But that literally happened to me as we were going through the show last week that I realized, wait a second, I need to go back and do this again. We had uh, a few comments on the episode. Uh, one that I think came up a couple of times was some people have had issues with timery staying in sync. And so if you have your, you know, uh, work project timer running on your computer and then you go outside because your dog is getting ready to commit a crime against a squirrel and you're yeah. going to take your phone out of your pocket and stop your timer. Maybe the Mac doesn't like reflect that perfectly when you get back to it. So the, the way timery works is it is syncing with toggle the service that yeah. we spoke about freeish service. I for one would love timery just to like build its own. I could like divorce it from toggle, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's in the works or not. This seems like a big project. Yeah, and that's a big database, and like yeah. that—that's not a—that's not a like a weekend project for the developer. No, no. That said, you know, if if Toggle ever turns off their API, he's out of business. So I'm sure he's thinking about it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's on a, an index card, you know, somewhere. But I've definitely seen Timery display this behavior where, like, I have a couple devices, and maybe they're not in sync with each other. But it really hasn't been that often. And I, like you, do most of my work at the Mac. So most of my time tracking is done with the Mac version of Timery. So it may just be that I don't move between my devices enough to like catch it. But it definitely hasn't really been like a, a big issue for me. And on occasion, if it has been, I can just quit the app and go back into it. And it seems to catch up with whatever toggle, you know, whatever state toggle was in at the moment and so i i definitely don't think it's a a big problem again quitting the app has fixed it for me on the on really like the handful of times i've seen it over the last six months but it's still definitely my preferred method i love the app uh i love all the 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 touches we spoke about it last time especially on the mac to like make it a really good app that you would never know is running catalyst and we're, we're actually going to talk about apps uh and app like development methods in a little while. Um, but I'll say it again. Timery is such a shining example of what a, an app can do on top of Catalyst on macOS. It's really impressive. And uh, I would say don't don't be too worried if you see that comment in the forums about the the syncing. I really don't think it's it's that big of a deal in practice. Yeah. And I'll just kind of to add to that, I was getting conflicts before Timery had a Mac app. Because I'd run Timery on my iPhone and iPad, and I was running the Toggle website on my Mac. The Toggle had a Mac app that I found was constantly conflicting with the website. Like I would set a timer uh, with Timery or at the Toggle website, and then I would set a timer on the Mac app, and it wouldn't acknowledge it. But then the next day, I'd have like a 26 entry for going, you know, to, to eat lunch. 
It just, those two were constantly having troubles. All that for me ended once Timery got a Mac app. And I was just using Timery as my only um, interface to the toggle interface. And it seemed to fix that problem for me. So if you're having that problem and you're not using the Timery Mac app, I would recommend giving that a try. That might solve your problem. But, um, the, you know, the other thing about people saying the the feedback we got as well was just, and me in particular got it because the length of my list and everything is like, why are you doing this? This is like extra work. And you're just, you know, it, it, a lot of people felt like it was busy work. And I got that email several times. And I, I talked to some friends who are like in the productivity racket who also refused to time track because they feel like, you know, you're just spinning your wheels. You're not actually getting any work done. And the, I tried to explain last week why, but just one more time, I guess the, the reason I use it is because it gives me usable data. Actually, there, I'll, I'll say there's two reasons. The first and most important is usable data. Using time tracking has led to me hiring other people to do certain work for me, has led to me stopping doing other work has led to me, uh, it led to the realization I was spending too much time in email, which is why I have that box in one hour only a day for comms, which we talked about last week. Um, it's just given me a lot of, it's, it's been the, um, the spark for a lot of good change in my life, allowing me to focus on what's most important to me. So uh, I find that even though it is kind of busy work to set these timers or even with something like timing to go in and categorize them in the after at the end of the day, uh, that does take some of my time, but I feel like the investment pays off. That doesn't mean it pays off for you. And I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to tell you that you have to do it, but if you've never tried it, I would recommend at least giving it a try to see if you get the kind of benefits I do. If you do, then it's going to pay for itself and you're going to keep doing it. And if it doesn't, then you're going to throw it overboard and that's okay too. I don't, I don't take personal offense either way. Just, I think it's a good technique worth trying. And then the other thing about it, I do find having that timer in the menu bar helps keep me on track. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we talked about this on the show, but I got enough email about that. I thought, well, let's just one more time. I, I get it. And I, I don't feel like everybody has to do it. Um, we, we didn't make that show with the point of making sure everybody time tracks, but just to say, hey, this is something we're doing. Steven's doing it now. And I guess that's one thing we really didn't talk about in the show, Stephen. Now that you've been doing it a while, I mean, you you really just are kind of new to this with 2022, right? Yeah. Are you seeing any payoff? I mean, is it worth it for you at this point? Yeah, I think it is uh, on really on two fronts. One, the thing you just mentioned is like when I see that timer going in my menu bar, it is a little reminder to like try to stay on target with, with what I'm supposed to be working on. And and secondly, being able to look back over a week or a month or a quarter's worth of work and just as a as a check that how I think I'm spending my time and the decisions that I'm making are like paying off and how like what output I'm doing. Right. So uh, for instance, uh, I think I may have mentioned this on the episode where, you know, Liftoff was a show I did with Jason. We ended it at the end of the year, but then we did two special episodes like back to back we actually recorded them the same day so we went from doing no episodes for four months to doing two in a day and i got to the end of the week and i was like i feel like i put in a lot more time than i normally did and in weird places and sure enough like the time tracking showed like oh well you have whatever it was i think 10 hours into liftoff where you haven't had any hours into liftoff in months and just having a check to 
to understand how I'm thinking or feeling about work uh, has been very helpful. You know, uh, the other thing that it's been useful in, particularly right now, is I'm in the process of putting together uh, another wall calendar. I'm going to do a Kickstarter again this year. Instead of hardware dates, I'm doing software dates. And I'm almost done with the research phase of like selecting the dates that I want and then confirming that the dates are actually correct. And I do that by having two sources. And then I have a fact checker also go through the process to make sure the dates are correct and like what I've written about them is correct. And so I'm in the I'm in that process right now. And it is so very time consuming. Basically, anytime I have about longer than about a 30 minute window open in a work day, I jump into that. And again, I've had a couple of weeks recently where really I get to Friday and just think I'm just beat or, oh, there's a lot of stuff I actually didn't get done that I needed to. And I can go back through those reports and say, oh, well, you had, you know, eight hours or whatever it is into the calendar, you know, that will account for some of these things, these other things. And so just having data put to what's going on is really helpful because what I've learned is I'm a really bad estimator at like how much time I spend on things. I think most people probably are really bad at that. And you can't lie with a timer. As long as your data is, is pretty good putting into the system, you'll get good data out of the system. And, uh, and so, yeah, I don't, I had an email asking me, you know, you started in January. Do you see an end in sight? And honestly, I don't. I think this is something that I'm going to do, you know, open-ended into the future. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, and if you have questions, I'm not trying to discourage you from, you know, writing in if you've got questions or thoughts on it. But just, I don't need you any more people to tell me how dumb it is. It's okay. <laughs> I get it, you know. I also uh, put a post, and we'll put a link in the show notes. I put a post up at Max Sparky with my categories of projects. Um, so if you want to see a clean version of that and a little bit of an explanation, I put that up at Max Sparky last week. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by NetSuite, the leading integrated cloud business software suite. Go to netsuite.com slash MPU to get a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. The CFOs that get it, get it, and the CFOs that don't, don't. So let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer, Today's CFO is critical to the strategy and success of the business. And in growing companies, there are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes, errors, and lack of visibility into the numbers. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, e-commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly, insights coming with the click of a button. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 29,000 growing businesses. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. You can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. And 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 29,000 businesses already use NetSuite. Why don't you join them? Head to netsuite.com slash MPU for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash MPU, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash MPU. And our thanks to NetSuite for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. 
All right, so let's get to some listener feedback. How does that sound? Yes. Um, we keep talking about Electron apps on the show, and we've had more than one listener write in and say, you keep talking about Electron. I don't even really know what that means. Could you please explain further? And I got thinking about it. I don't think we really have explained very well. It's come up. I think we talked about it on the Obsidian show like a year ago. Um, but but really, we really haven't got into it in depth. And there are multiple categories of apps now. And as a kind of a Mac power user, you're going to want to have an idea, you know, what the landscape looks like. Because we're in a very weird period with respect to Mac apps. Yeah, yeah, we are. So Electron really just at the at the base of it is a development solution to putting desktop applications together. Electron works on both Mac and Windows. And really what it is at the core and, of it and is... And Linux too, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Linux. It's coming. The year of Linux on the desktop in a year now. <laughs> um, sorry, Linux people. Uh, really at the core of it is, it is using uh, the Chromium rendering engine. So the rendering engine within Google Chrome is actually now called Blink. Uh, I think there's some technical differences between like Chromium and Blink, but those aren't important. It's basically the rendering engine out of the Chrome browser. And that's at the core of the the application. And on top of that, developers can use their own UI elements or elements designed to match the system they're running on. So what I mean by that is take a look at whatever Mac window is in front of you right now. You have the stoplight controls in the upper left, red, yellow, green buttons. Uh, a website obviously is not going to have those, right? Because a website is contained within a browser. But if you if you take that website and make it its own application, you need something to tell it, hey, this is how your window resizes. These are the controls you get. This is what buttons should look like. Um, and there are some some tools on the Mac and on Windows that both that make that easier for developers to do. And so really the, the fundamental difference is the core of the application is is it running basically on top of web technologies, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, or is it running on top of, I'm doing giant air quotes here, native uh, native tools. So if, if you spin up Xcode on the Mac and you write a Mac application in Objective-C or in Swift or with Catalyst. Apple has a bunch of different solutions right now. Those applications, the way they interact with the operating system itself are fundamentally different than an Electron app that is basically running a web app in a wrapper of like native controls. I hope that makes more sense because A, I'm not a developer and like it's really kind of hard to explain. I think you're on the right track. I mean, I think... Uh, to simplify things, native apps are apps made with Apple's tools, like you said, you know, Xcode in general. And and they take advantage of, of all the built-in stuff on the Mac, like a lot of the tech services and stuff, you know, the nerdy stuff we get into on the Mac Power users often only works on native apps because you get kind of all that for free when you build it in Xcode. And then on the flip side, using tools like Electron or some of these other third-party tools, from a developer standpoint, you don't get as much of that, but you get the ability to make an app once and distribute it on Windows, Mac, and Linux without having to make three separate apps. So you save a bunch of time 
uh, you know, in the development process. And that allows you to iterate faster and add new features because you're not spending so much of your time just trying to make sure it's got, you know, compatibility between different versions. And one of the big pros there is that the Mac benefits from applications being an electron like showing up on the Mac in the first place. There are a lot of companies, a lot of applications that wouldn't bother with a Mac OS version of their app because the Mac is so much smaller than the Windows install base that they probably wouldn't take the time to build a native Mac app otherwise. Yeah. But if they can use 90%, 95% of the same code base and then just the parts that are supposed to look like Windows or Mac OS, those be different. There's a lot of tools to automate that in development. Then, yeah, it may not be as nice or, or as polished as something could be if it was written in a native stack. Uh, it's here, right? And I, I, I look around like on my Mac and there are quite a few applications that use Electron and some of them, yeah, like I'm sure Slack and Discord would probably end up making Mac versions, but there are others that probably wouldn't. And I think there's something to be said for that of, well, do you want an app that maybe like you you have some like slight disagreements with like philosophically, which we're going to get to in a second, or do you not want the app at all? And I think the Mac in particular benefits from the ability to run this cross-platform stuff. Yeah. And so, so electron, when we say electron app, it's an app that wasn't written specifically for the Mac, but it runs on the Mac. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is electric calling an app electron. I think for a lot of people is like, um, the scarlet letter, you know, yes. Of an app saying, Oh, it's electron. Well then it's garbage. So I don't like it. And I really don't think you're being fair because there are different developers implementing electron in different ways. And and honestly, that's true on the other side, too. Like if you look at like Catalyst, which is an Apple technology, some of those apps come on the Mac and they're awesome, like Timery, and some of them come on and they're completely dog doo-doo. And, and because the developer just didn't give it the time and attention it deserved. And the question in your mind when you see an Electron app shouldn't be, oh, this is Terrell Wilkins' Electron. Say, well, I know it's Electron, so that's going to affect some things. Let me see if it's still, you know, if it's good enough for me, even if I lose some of the built-in Mac goodness, is it still work for me? And, and how does it run? Is it fast? You know, is it do the thing that I want it to do? And, and like, I face that with Obsidian, you know, I mean, I know that we talk about Obsidian too much. I get it, but, but I, I like the app, but that was a strike against it in my mind. The first time I heard about it, I'm like, well, it's not a native app. I'm not sure if I'm going to like that, but the, the way the developers have iterated on it, the features they've added, the things that they've added to make it work, like basically all the keyboard shortcuts work on it. Like it does, like it was a native Mac app, the window management stuff works. The stuff that I, I is important to me works. So, um, you know, it proved itself worthy to me, you know, mm-hmm. another one, I probably shouldn't touch this rail is, is uh one password, you know, they're switching to electron, they're a sponsor. So everybody's going to say whatever I say is based hmm. on me being biased. But I honestly don't use, I use one password all the time. I don't use the app that often, but the time I've spent with the electron version of it isn't terrible. I think it's fine. It's going to do the job for me. And, and now the haters are going to come for me in the, in the forums, but <laughs> it's, 
it's fine, you know? It is. And it's totally fine. I, I guess the thing is you've got to look at the app, but there are Electron apps that have landed on the Mac that, that are terrible, and I don't use them. And just like there's native apps on the Mac that are terrible and I don't use. So, yeah. you know, it's just something you got to be aware of. And, and the weird thing is right now, just to kind of put this in a bigger perspective, and um, is the whole situation with the Mac where software, where is software right now? You know, I mean, we've got the traditional method of making Mac apps, you know, and that's, you know, UI kit. That was what Apple has been running for what, 15 years now, 20 years. Oh, I mean, yeah, since the beginning of OS 10. So yeah, I mean, so 20 years it's been, yeah. So it's been, that's been the way they've done it. But forever people said Apple needs to upgrade that and that's antiquated and they need something better. And so Apple has done a couple things. They've announced Catalyst, which is a way to take an iOS app or an iPad app and easily put it on the Mac. And some people are doing a really good job of that. We've talked about some of those developers. Um, you know, Ty Murray, um, Dark, uh, Dark, was it Dark, Dark, Dark Noise? Noise? Yeah. There's some of them that are just doing a just bang up job of, of using the Catalyst technology to make a great Mac app. And there's some that aren't. And, you know, if you just open up a Mac app and you go to set the date and it brings up a set of wheels, you, you'll know that that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a Catalyst app that the developer didn't spend any time yeah, on. Yeah, like Apple's Home app. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even Apple yeah. itself is guilty of this. Yeah. Okay, so we've got that, which isn't optimal. Then we've got Swift UI, which is, even though Apple hasn't really said it, I think that's the next big thing, right? That's going to yeah. be the ultimate replacement for UI kit. But it's in growing pains right now. It's it's a baby, you know. And it's you know. And if we look at the last year and all the stuff that all the trouble we had with shortcuts for Mac, it wasn't the shortcuts Mac team is bad. Those guys are smart. They're way smarter than I am. And but they're trying to use Swift UI to build an app. And Swift UI isn't entirely ready, you know. I mean, they're still figuring out where the where the scratchy points are, right? Mm-hmm. So those guys had to like work with this new technology. And there are some, you know, app uh, traditional Mac developers who are making the switch to Swift UI, and their apps are going to suffer for it, and they're going to get beat up for it. You know, that's the thing I feel like. It's like I feel bad for the app Mac developers right now because if you use Swift UI, which is the new hotness, you're going to get beat up because some of it's not going to work right, and the users are going to be unhappy. If you say, "Well, I can't do that," so I'm going to go use Electron. Guess what? You're still going to get beat up because you, <laughs> now you're using Electron. I mean, I, I feel like there's really not a win for them. Or you could use, you know, UI Kit, which is 20 years old, and you know you're going to have to rewrite that stuff uh, once all the dust settles because it's the old thing that's going to go away. Yeah. So I, I really, uh, I, I would, what I would say to listeners is have a little bit of patience with these developers and understand where they're coming from. But, you know, also be honest with yourself. Try, be willing to try Electron and Swift UI and all these other apps. And if they don't work for you, write the developer an email and say, you know, I can't use it anymore and these are the reasons why and see mm-hmm. what they do. Maybe they'll fix it or maybe you need to go find a new app. But this isn't a bunch of developers trying to be greedy. It's just a bunch of honest people trying to figure out the best way to navigate really stormy waters right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think writing off any technology outright is it just it lacks nuance that the topic deserves and i think with electron in particular i mean there are some cons right they they have a tendency to use more memory and resources than native apps that's not even always true um you can but, if you but really it's more spend, often true than not it, it I mean, is it is more often yeah. true than not 
but you know that's a side effect of using the the rendering engine that it uses but again like for me i want to look at the bigger picture of like i'm glad this app exists on the platform that i choose and, <laughs> and that i love honestly and and that's okay and i think that in the i mean and it's it's on apple right the the whole like <laughs> 10 minute thing you just had to explain of like apple's development situation they're in right now like that opened the door for things like electron in a way that maybe wouldn't have happened if Apple had like modern tooling ready to go five years ago. If Swift UI was five years old now, we probably, well, this, this discussion probably wouldn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they were uh, seemingly fine letting Objective C and letting uh, UI Kit uh, sit there for a long time, or App Kit, excuse me, App Kit sit there for a long time. I mean, AppKit really, we talked about being in the beginning of OS 10. That comes from Next. That's really old stuff. And I yeah, get it, I right? I just Apple... realized I've misstated that that entire segment. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's AppKit. It's AppKit, not UIKit yeah. is on the iPhone, iPhone and iPad. iPad. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry. Sorry, yes. AppKit. Yeah. And I, I get, I understand why, right? Like it worked. It worked well. And Apple had other things they needed to go do. But now they're trying to unify it all. And if I were starting out as an indie developer... From from nothing, right? I don't know what I would choose. You know, somebody like Joe who writes Timery, and I, I haven't spoken to him about this, so I don't. Hopefully, I'm not putting words in his mouth. But he started with an iOS app and brought it to the Mac. Okay, that like flowchart ends in Mac Catalyst every time, right? Like, why would you start over in AppKit when you can just do some work and really like make your iPad app really shine on the Mac? And Catalyst runs on Intel and Apple Silicon machines, so that that's fantastic. But if you're looking to do anything cross-platform that involves the web or Windows or Linux, I mean, the flowchart ends in Electron for a lot of people, especially if they're a small team or they or their app is really just a front-end for a web service, which like, I'm looking at the apps that are open right now just in the space that I'm on in my Mac. So I have Todoist, I have Zoom, I have... Uh, Reader, which I usually quit when I record a podcast, but I missed it this time, and Chrome. Four out of those four are really just showing me content from the web, right? Yeah. Like Todoist is a web app. Zoom is a voice over IP uh, solution. Chrome is showing me Google Docs, which is like a whole word processor in the cloud. And then I'm pulling in synced RSS things through Feedbin, right? Like more and more our desktop applications are windows to the web, and in that world, for a lot of people, it makes sense to build an Electron. So I think writing it all off with a broad stroke is just, it doesn't do anybody any favors. Uh, and hopefully we uh, have cleared it up a little bit because uh, I think we have talked about it a lot without kind of getting into it. Yeah, and, and the um, the Obsidian team is, is a two-person development team. You know, they're yeah. not going to be able to make a separate if you if you made them make make it in Swift UI, they would they'd crash because it's mm-hmm. just not there. And and I guess the, the last point I like to make on this is I already said there's no malice by any of these developers. They're all just trying to do what makes sense for them. Yeah, I don't think there's any malice from Apple either. I mean, Apple no. has made this huge investment in Swift UI, and the dream is that they will have a programming environment where a developer can come to Apple and they can write one code base that makes a an app for your 27 inch Mac and your, you know, your, the 
the the Apple Watch on your wrist and the phone in your pocket and the iPad in your bag. And you know, the idea is one platform to develop apps. So there isn't a UI kit and an app kit. It's just like one thing. And then once you learn that, you can make apps that get distributed across the entire Apple ecosystem. I mean, they're going vertical within their platform, you know, whereas I guess I would say um, Electron is going horizontal to other platforms. And that's awesome. And I I actually do believe they're going to deliver this. I mean, Apple is a big company. They're going to make it work. But it's going to take time. I mean, this is a huge undertaking. And, And in a few years, when Swift UI is a lot smoother, I feel like, we won't be having these discussions anymore, but, but for now they exist. And so occasionally on the show, we will mention electron app kit and all this. And, and hopefully we can just point people back to this segment. Um, again, I, I guess I keep telling people not to email me, but if, if you're going to hate on this, <laughs> I don't, I don't really want to hear it because I don't buy it. I, I feel like everybody here has good intentions and everybody's just trying to do the best they can. And if you believe otherwise, that's fine. You yeah. Know, but just, you know, let, let's all be positive about this because, you know, the, the end of the story is we are in a period of transition of rough waters, as I said earlier. They will come. You know, Apple had the same rough waters with their hardware a few years ago, and I think we all feel pretty good about it now. You know, I feel like software can get there too. I do too. Uh, so some, some other listener feedback. Um, Alfred wrote in, uh, writing about uh, touchscreen Macs and the iPad as a secondary monitor, something we spoke about on uh, More Power Users last week, about how you're using your iPad in conjunction with your Mac. And yeah. uh, Alfred brought up, brought up Sidecar. So the ability to extend the macOS screen and interface onto an iPad, and you can use the Apple Pencil there and things like, uh, they mentioned uh, Illustrator, in particular, is, is useful in their workflow. But they say that, uh, as quoting Alfred, commercially, Apple may not want to publicize this because it is far more expensive than the Microsoft Surface, but it works, and it solves a bunch of problems for me. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I agree. Like, Sidecar is really cool, and I think if you have a Mac and an iPad, uh, and that's the sort of workflow you have, it can be a real game-changer because, for whatever reason, Apple uh, isn't willing or able to put a touchscreen on a Mac at this point. But I don't think it's like a, I mean, it was like a headlining feature a few years ago. I don't think Apple is, is shying away from the feature or talking about it. I think it's just, you know, it's just kind of there now. Yeah. And we, we talked about it on the more power users, but I am just so happy with my situation of having a big iPad under my Mac screen between sidecar and universal control. It, it gives me so many options and um, I don't know. I, I, you know how like technology gives you sparks of joy. This Mm -hmm. does for me, you know, and the more ways I figure out to use it, like right now I'm looking at my recording tools below my Mac while I'm sitting here with all this big screen real estate dedicated to data for the episode and research. I just, I love it. And just, I'm very, very pleased. Like someone wrote me said, well, are you going to buy one of these uh, studio displays and you can put it next to your big screen display and then you have extra screen real estate. My external display at this point is my iPad and it's just the right size for me. And it's also important, you know, importantly in the same focal distance as my main screen, looking at my main screen or just averting my eyes down below to the iPad. I don't have to change my focal um, length, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Whereas... 
because the screen is so big. If I put, if I hung another monitor like to the left or the right of it, I'd have to actually change the focus of my eyes to, to read them. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. People have talked about touchscreen Max for well over a decade. And I think in talking about and thinking about what that would mean for touch to come to Mac OS, like you really got to look at Windows, which well over a decade ago, probably two decades ago, uh, Microsoft was playing with like Windows for, you know, at the time it was called pin computing, right? You'd have a laptop and have a stylus in it. I had a ThinkPad for a while, like 15 years ago that had a stylus in it. It was fantastic. But yeah. Windows itself had a lot of growing pains to support it because anytime you add touch to a keyboard and mouse driven operating system, you just have some inherent problems. And so Windows solved it by pin computing that, well, really the stylus basically acts like a cursor. And it wasn't until more recently that Windows went under, under, or Windows went through a visual redesign to a degree to make things like touch targets uh, bigger, to make things like UI elements uh, more accessible by using uh, using a, a finger or two. And Apple just hasn't done that in macOS, right? Things are still pretty small. It's still basically driven by a cursor. And where they've added support for touch is through gestures via the trackpad, which they've done since like 2008 or so. So you can zoom and rotate and pan and do all these things through the trackpad, not the screen itself. I think Apple just, they don't want to turn Mac OS into an operating system that like is more touch friendly, but then it looks kind of weird for most people who are just going to use a, a, a laptop or a desktop and maybe not interact with the touch display. I think there's also the, the ergonomic issue, which Apple, I don't think Apple wants to go down the road of like two in one Macs or Macs that like flip around. And so they seem willing to stay in the traditional form factors and let technologies like Sidecar fill in the gaps for people who really benefit from that, that workflow enhancement. Yeah, I think that my, you know, I, I keep banging on about this, but I think my current situation of big iPad directly under the center of a big Mac monitor, and I'm using the, ele- was it Elevation Labs? Or I always forget, it's called a draft table. Yeah, Elevation Lab draft table underneath it. And it's a really solid platform to put it on. I feel like that's as close as we're going to get. You know, I keep talking about the dream iMac that is a Mac and then you tilt it down, it turns into an iPad. I kind of, I think I'm as close to that as I'm going to get with this current situation I Mm. have. I I don't think Apple's going to be adding a pin to the Mac anytime soon. Do you? Yeah, I, I agree. And I wrote this thing... I mean, years and years ago, I think for Mac stories, uh, it was in someone's newsletter, but like a middle ground could be adding Apple pencil support to these giant trackpads, right? So you could use it as a, as kind of like a Wacom tablet almost, but even that's a little weird because it's indirect. I think Apple's solution is look, if you really need those type of different input devices, we have different products and they work together or they work separately. And that is kind of what it is. I know Federico on um, on uh, Mac Stories sometimes talks about the idea of a giant iPad Pro, like yeah. 15 or 16 inches or I don't know, whatever. And with my newfound love of the iPad as my secondary display, I would be interested in that. Honestly, if I could add a few more pixels to the second screen, I'd, that'd be cool for me. But it would be used in conjunction with a Mac. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, not really. I mean, it's, it's still an iPad, but it's no, almost I, I secondarily still take it that way. Like, I mean, just the other night, I I just lifted it off the stand and went over and watched YouTube and did some other stuff with it. But uh, you know, sorted through my OmniFocus. It, it still can be an iPad, but the way I'm really using it as a secondary monitor to my Mac is is what it, where it really earns its pay. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, products, services, and even content with Squarespace. Whatever you need, they have you covered. The old days of building websites were terrible. You would maybe start with a system, but then you would need to hook a lot of other things up to it or even send people off-site to do things like complete a transaction or make a donation. With Squarespace, all of that is built in. That means that you can have a web page for your organization or business, complete with a blog or a podcast, uh, photos, updates, donation, uh, purchases, everything you would need is all just there. You can sell your products with their online store, either physical or digital, And you get started with this best-in-class website template, and you customize it to fit your needs. It's really cool. You can browse the category of your business and define the perfect starting place, and you can customize it with just a few clicks. I love building sites on Squarespace. I've built a bunch there over the years, and they don't have to be big, complicated things. Sometimes you just need a simple, single page for maybe a community event. You need people to sign up and register, uh, or maybe... You are a school district and you uh, you know have like a parent teacher organization. You need a big website. Whatever it is, you totally can build it with Squarespace and it's just a lot of fun and easy to use. Head on over to squarespace.com/mpu for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com/mpu and the code MPU to get you 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Steven, we got an email that was like irresistible to me from Greg. Greg says, I'm fortunate enough to have a dedicated office space and uh, I'm looking for the ultimate Mac office design. Budget is not a huge concern, but it's not infinite either. So, uh, uh, what would you guys do to set up your ultimate Mac station? Oh man. And I thought, you know what? We could go so many directions with this. <laughs> yeah. I had a vision that we had like some sort of Mac setup consulting business on the side. Oh where, yes. Like, people oh, just yes. fly us in and we just have, you know, we can just order anything and it shows up next day and we can just like build people's desks for them. I don't know how big of a company that could be, but I'm, but I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah, it would require we would be extremely expensive for that job, but it would be <laughs> it would be very sweet at the end. You'd be very happy with your setup. Yeah. And Steven would have like a Batman belt, but it would have like Velcro and zip ties on it. Yeah, ready to go at all times to manage yeah. those cables. Yeah, exactly. The cable management would be chef's kiss, right? You know. <laughs> all right. Well, let, let's talk about because I am building a room. And this, of course, this question got to me a little bit. It's like, oh yeah. Wouldn't that be fun setting up from, from scratch? What would you do if you could start from scratch? Yeah. I mean, I I have twice now really. Yeah. 
And I think you start with the desk and I think you, you put as, as much desk in as will fit in the area. And it's like when I moved to like the new quote unquote new side of my studio, I've got a much wider or I guess much longer desk now. And that lets me spread out a little bit more and, and not feel as cramped. And I really don't have room for a second display, but if I want to use an iPad as a second display or something, I can do that where previously I really couldn't work because I was where the old desk was. Uh, so I think having like big open desk space, uh, a nice desk that you really like that's sit stand probably like, I think that's the cornerstone of any setup. Yeah. So let's break that down. First of all, you said, and I totally agree with is desk size. I would get as big a desk as you can fit. Um, it's really nice having, you know, space that you can work on when you're on your computer. Uh, I have added extra space. I've got a, uh, I think it's three by six, uh, sit stand desk that I bought kind of early in the Mac power user. And I was thinking the other day, this thing is probably over 10 years old now. I don't think the company's even in business anymore, but it's a, it's got a motor in it. It goes up and down and I use it all the time. And so sit stand is important to me, but before you get to the sit stand question, I think, you know, get as much space as you can. Uh, last year I added a shelf to mine. Uh, and I really like that because it also gives me, you know, in essence, additional space on my desk and, um, and, you know, space, to uh to stretch out a bit i think is is important yeah definitely comfortable chair i think is also really important you know i mean you don't have to go super crazy but you know um i i have always owned hundred dollar chairs and last two three years ago i bought like an eight hundred dollar chair and it is so much better i i really uh because i i'll sit in this chair you know six seven hours a day with breaks when we have like you know squirrel hunts and things but I, I really find it much nicer being in a comfortable chair. So get a, as comfortable a chair as you can afford. And you don't need to buy the most expensive ones. I think the really expensive ones, I'm not sure you get the same bang for your buck with those. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Yeah, I think a chair is huge. You know, as far as the the Mac part of this, you're picking a really good time because we've had the Apple Silicon transition is almost complete. But also... You can buy a studio display. You know, you're not stuck yeah. putting an LG Ultrafine on your desk. You don't have to buy a Pro Display XDR. A studio display is a great fit for almost everybody. It's got built-in speakers that sound pretty good. It's got a webcam that is supposedly getting better with a software update anytime now. And it's a good size. 27 inches at 5K is a nice size. And yeah. you can pair it with anything because all the Macs have, all the current Macs have Thunderbolt 3 or four now that will push that display just fine from a macbook air or a mac mini all the way up to a max you know mac studio and so boy what a good time to set something up from scratch i think studio display plus your mac of choice if you want a notebook you know to take it with you or a desktop it's a great time and i think the studio display is like really it is a little expensive for what it is i think but i think it's a much better situation than we were in six months ago yeah, well, I mean, the fact is there really isn't anything that competes with it except the LG Ultrafine, which doesn't really compete with it. So, um, yeah, that's the problem. Um, uh, Greg, who wrote in, is an engineer. He, he works with electronics with his Mac. And um, so I would think that if he wants a stationary one, he should get a Mac Studio. If he wants one that he can move around, get a MacBook Pro. 
Uh, one person that right now I would tell to wait is somebody who feels like a Mac Studio is too much, but they want a little bit more than the entry-level Mac Mini. I feel like that's probably going to get solved in the next you know year, if not six months. So uh, I feel like Apple's going to fit fill that little void in the in the line. Um, but generally, if you want a fairly powerful Mac, now's a great time to set up with this. Um, another thing I would say, if you're setting up space, um, make it space you're really comfortable in. I know a lot of people listening live in, you know, cubicle land. And I worked for an office, you know, at an office for 23 years where uh, I couldn't put what exactly what I wanted on my walls. And I, I couldn't put a Yoda on my desk when I was in my law office. But, you know, uh, and I get that. So if you're stuck in a place where you can't like control it, um, take what you can, you know, figure mm-hmm. out whatever makes you happy and, and try and make it as much your space as, as possible. There's actually studies on this. Um, I read this great book last year. I keep referencing it called the Ex- extended mind by Annie Murphy, Paul. And, uh, somebody did a study on like a completely, you know, empty office of all personal effects, you know, at, at when back in the day where they were trying to figure out how to make the worker bees more productive. And they're like, well, let's get all that personal stuff out of there. So they don't have distractions. And they discovered those people actually worked less and were less productive. You have to have, I feel like when it's a space you're comfortable in, you're going to do better. So what I tell Greg is find a way to tastefully make it comfortable to you. Absolutely. I mean, you, you've got, you know, your lightsaber collection on the wall and I got a bunch of old Macs and, um, yeah, finding, finding that thing to make it your own is fantastic. And when you start from scratch, I think, I think the kind of the last thing I would say here is just know that it's going to evolve, right? That it's going to change over time. Your setup may change or what you want out of it may change. And so, I think go into it knowing that it won't be perfect on day one and that it will improve and evolve as you do. Yeah. Like when I do my studio build, I mean, this is kind of always on my mind right now. Um, Cause I'm building it to listeners who I haven't heard this yet is I'm adding a room onto my house to be like Max Sparky. It's going to be called indoor studios and it's going to be where I do that stuff. But one of the things I researched was cause I really like wood, you know, um, I, you know, have a wood shop. I, I like the natural materials, you know, of it and like wood products for your wall are not that expensive. You know, you, you can, there's really nice stuff being made now, um, that isn't necessarily solid lumber or you can get reclaimed stuff, but you can get really nice stuff. And so one of the things I'm going to do with the studio build, uh, is have these really great, wood walls and i i'm going to be so much more comfortable in that space my existing space has yellow walls my wife loves that color and you know it's it was originally the room that we had um like our our fancy room you know when people would come and visit and we'd get the the nice food out and bring them in here and so she called me at work one day she says the painter's here i'm gonna pick yellow i'm like great i had no idea i'd be working in a yellow room you know (laughs) and you know, in the future, but the new room is like, I think, you know, the wall treatments and stuff like that is another thing that you should take into account when you're creating a space for you, you know, make it something where you go and you feel at peace so you can focus. I mean, that's what this is all about. I don't know. We could, we could probably do a whole show on this, but, um, there's, there's some general points for Greg. Hopefully they help you out and keep us posted on how it goes. Yeah. Greg, when you finish, send us a picture. I see it. 
Um, all right. Last piece of listener feedback. Uh, we had a talk on the show at one point where I said, wouldn't it be funny if somebody brought an iMac into a coffee shop, right? And then we got this message and I couldn't find who sent it to me because I put it aside and didn't save the name. So I'm very sorry to whoever sent me this, but one of our listeners sent us a picture of a coffee shop where a guy is set up with an LG screen and a trash can Mac pro at the Purdue union basement. This is amazing. It, <laughs> my favorite part of this, I think is not that there's a trash can Mac pro in a coffee shop, but it's the backpack on the other side of the screen. And the thought of someone like unplugging a trash can Mac pro and like nestling it into a backpack to take it with them just cracks me up in a way that it, it shouldn't. I I love it. I mean, he took, a, it's a table for five and he took the whole table to set up and he's got plugs and there's also a lot of IO here. Oh, and by the way, it's from Tyler. I just looked it up. Tyler sent this in. I found it. Um, I, I found it by going to Apple mail and just type Purdue university. And <laughs> that, that was my trick. But the, uh, either way, yeah, a couple, I mean, he's got like multiple cables going in and out of it. And he's got his headphones on over his hoodie. I mean, this guy, this guy, man, he wins. Yeah. And he's using, I was trying to like computer zoom and enhance to see what he's using. I think he's using Premiere. It looks like a timeline based editor. Like he's doing some sort of editing or rendering or something, which I guess necessitates the trash can. But yeah, I just, I love it. But I also kind of want to go tap on his shoulder and be like, dude, the 14 inch MacBook Pro. We'll smoke your trash can. Yeah, I know. Well, this was 2019 when the <laughs> okay. picture was taken. So so it's a few years old. I mean, but still, that's awesome. I that mean, is pretty awesome. I just want to see him going in like to get his coffee. Does he have like the monitor like under his arm? I mean, how do you carry the monitor? I, I get that the the trash can is in your backpack, but how do you get them like I don't <laughs> I don't even know, man. It's pretty great. Do do you remember the the last uh, live WBC we did? I had a trash can as my um my on stage computer. Yeah, yeah. Marco had given it to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, put, I'll put a link in the show notes. Since it's like the th- it's like uh, my coach unconnected Mike and Federico and I, and I'm at the end <laughs> with a a display and a trash can as my uh, as my computer. And you know the trash can was cool. You could just take it with you, I guess. But well, okay, so now I have to share something with you. You remember the very first live event we did after you joined Mac Power Users in Chicago? Yeah. I had tried to make arrangements to get a Mac SE. So, and there was a listener that had one. He was going to loan it to me. And so when we got on stage and you pulled out your laptop, because because of you and, you know, your Mac history, uh, I was going to just pull it, you know, because we always, when we do live events, we have a laptop or a computer in front of us for notes I was going to pull out from my desk and turn it on right in front of you and do all my show notes and on a Mac SE and the guy got sick or he couldn't make it at the last minute, but I had a whole plan to show up with a Mac SE for our first live event together. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm sorry. It didn't happen. Maybe someday, maybe one day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So we talked about the Mac studio a little bit earlier. I just want to check in real quick and, and I've been, this has been a running bit on the show about your new Mac studio. But the one thing I haven't asked you about, and I've been actually sitting here thinking about it because I know how how important cables are to you, is 
now that you've got it, you've been using it, what is plugged into your Mac Studio? <laughs> so many things. So many things. Uh, okay. So, uh, of course, I've got power and Ethernet plugged in. So I use Ethernet at my desk, not an animal on Wi-Fi here. And then I've got a bunch of USB and or Thunderbolt stuff. And so I've got my stream deck and I've got the battery backup. They're both plugged in via USB. Uh, the battery backup will tell Mac OS, hey, my, the power's out and it will shut the Mac down. Supposedly that works like half the time, but I feel like, okay, this should be plugged in. Um I've got the uh, Pro Display XDR plugged in. That uses Thunderbolt, of course. Off of the Pro Display, I have a Logitech webcam, and I have the dongle for my ancient Logitech mouse just kind of hanging off the back of the Pro Display. Um, and then I've got my external storage. So I've got my Time Machine, which is a uh, a single 8-terabyte SSD, and then I have... Or sorry, that's uh, my my nightly backup is a eight terabyte SSD, and then my time machine is sixteen terabytes of solid state storage. Those are both in Mac cells, uh, OWC enclosures that use USB C, and so it's pretty full. Um, in fact, I think I have one USB C slash Thunderbolt port open on the back right now, and I don't have anything plugged in the front, um, but I have already used the SD card slot several times. It's really sweet just having it on the front of the computer. And I've got those two USB-C ports uh, on the front if I need them for anything quick. So Is that, is that going to be your justification one day for, for getting the Mac Pro, whatever it is, say, well, I'm just out of I.O. I got just out of I.O. I just need some more ports, yeah. Um, I will say the moving the storage externally has not been the pain that I thought it would be. I have those enclosures tucked behind the pro display so I can't see them. They're not yeah. taped to it or anything. I don't know who would do that. I uh, actually I have news for you on that front. So I had taped a um, an OWC ex- enclosure to the back of the aluminum stand for my pro display. And it's just always, I was out in the yard pulling weeds. I looked through the window and I could see it. I'm like, oh, that's just got to go. I get it. Steven is rubbing off on me. So, so I did a couple things. Um, I bought for my MacBook Pro, even though I'm not getting a Mac Studio, at least at this point, I went ahead and bought the Elements Hub for it. It's the Elements, what do they call it? CalDigit, I'm sorry, CalDigit Elements Thunderbolt 4 Hub. So it gives me an additional three USB-C Thunderbolt ports and four USB-A ports. And that like solves so many problems for me. So that is behind the shelf that my MacBook Pro sits on. So when I plug my MacBook Pro, I plug it into my studio, into my um, into my Pro display with one cable. I plug into that hub with the other one. And once I realize, well, wait a second, I'm going through a hub either way, whether it's through the display or through this other hub. So it doesn't matter. And that allowed me to get a lot more space for my short Thunderbolt. You know, those Thunderbolt mm-hmm. cables are short. Unless yeah. you, you can now buy longer ones, but I don't want to spend $50 on a cable. So I um, I just said, oh, now that they're shorter, I can put them in other places. And I, I put them in the shelf underneath my MacBook Pro. So now they're totally hidden and no longer attached to the back of my display. So you'll be happy to hear that. But also just um, getting that Elements Hub 
allowed me to get rid of the USB-A port underneath my desk and like just really clean up everything. And now I have available Thunderbolt ports on both on the back of my display and in the hub. So I can go in on either side. Plus the way I put my laptop into the shelf, I put it sideways. So I've got facing out to me the SD card and a USB-C and an HDMI port at any time. So I can plug into those. I'm, I've kind of got that settled. I mean, I, I'm increasingly starting to think that I'm just going to be sticking with this laptop at least for another few years. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have the same thing I do where you have some ports available to you up front. They just happen to be on the side of a laptop for you. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's great. I mean, back in the day when I had my iMac and iMac Pro, I had a little uh, hub that like kind of attached to the bottom of the iMac and hung from it. And so you had some ports on the front and it really is, um, it really is convenient. You know, on the Mac Pro, you had a couple of Thunderbolt ports on the top. The idea was it was on the floor, right? You could just reach down and plug something in. I, I was able to get rid of my Thunderbolt dock. It's just like in a shoebox in my office with a bunch of other stuff I need to organize. Yeah. Um, I was able to, to simplify things a little bit uh, moving to uh, moving to the Mac Studio. I had some stuff that I probably didn't actually need plugged in all the time. And yeah. uh, the number of ports in the studio really worked out for for what I need, but... Yeah, I did the math. If I had a Mac Studio, like my backup drives and archive drives would be plugged directly into it, which probably give me faster I/O speeds than going through a hub. But, um, but yeah, if I had a Mac Studio, I wouldn't need this this hub either. But it's still probably not enough of a reason. Using just a MacBook Pro now for six months, I just did a post at Mac Sparky on kind of how it's going and. I would, I just love this MacBook Pro. I mean, even just like bringing it over to the couch to do email in the evening, it's fine. Even though it's a 16 inch, it's the big one. It's fine on my lap. You know, it's fine. The only thing I don't like about it is when I go past the front door, I hate bringing it out of the house because I'm afraid it's going to get stolen. I'm going to drop it or, you know, it's just such an expensive oversized computer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't let it. And like when we traveled and I, I'd leave it in the hotel room, I'd worry about it all day and, um, I think I really need, if it wasn't for all the rumors for about the new MacBook Airs coming out, I think I would have already bought like a cheap MacBook Air, like yeah. low end, just to have to do like when I travel to do email and basic stuff. Mm-hmm. But even just around the house, I, I I don't know that I'd want a MacBook Air for that either because this thing is awesome. And plugging it in to the screen and this, this dock just never gives me a problem. The drives always connect. Everything just works. I mean, Apple has just done such a great job with the hardware. I edited my first video on the Mac Studio. Oh, boy. Right? (laughs) And uh, pretty awesome. So uh, I did this video on the the eMac, which is like this weird G4 machine that uh, was released 20 years ago. So I did like an overview of it. And, you know, I've shot and edited in 4K without the need for any sort of proxy workflow on the Mac Pro. And it was pretty good. It was pretty smooth. But the Mac Studio is like a whole new level. And I have the M1 Max. I don't even have the Ultra. And yeah. the if, if you go watch the video, the first section of it has a lot of effects. Like I kind of, the first section is kind of shot like one of those annoying, like kind of yelly, like TV ads. Yeah. And so I have a lot of audio effects and a lot of color. And so like I, I put some static and noise in the image. And 
having to like background render that on the Mac Pro would have been noticeably slower. The Mac Studio just ate right through it. I was super impressed and it never got any louder than, you know, than what it sounds like day to day. You know, I did the, the thing of like, let me put my, my hand on it, or like put my hand on the exhaust. It never felt hot. It was very impressive and uh, really, really smooth. Now I'm using Final Cut, which is, of course is tuned for it, but it really was a, a pretty nice experience, honestly, putting this video together on this new computer. Surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Apple Silicon's really good. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, you're using Final Cut. And I think people don't realize enough that, like, the Final Cut people and the people that made this chip are in the same building, you know? So the Final Cut people say, oh, you know what? We do a lot of this stuff with our software, and a lot of times it hangs up the hardware. And then they go down to the hardware guys and the hardware guys, well, let's just write, etch into the chip a subroutine just to do that for the so- for this software, you know? Right. And it's an unfair advantage for, you know, Final Cut over all of its competitors because, like, all the stuff that hangs up on it, the Apple Silicon just does it in hardware. So, of course, it's going to, like, screen through renders and thing, or effects and things that you do with, with Final Cut. I, I mean, that's the reason I use Final Cut, too. I feel like too often in the past I've tried to use hardware and software from different vendors and run into all these little problems. And Apple just makes it easy. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. If you're listening to the Mac Power Users, chances are you know tech and you know how it works and more specifically how to make it work for you. And that's great because if you're a business owner, it means you can create the systems you need to help your business grow. But it also means other people might rely on you for your tech support. And that's okay from time to time. But if you're growing a business, your skills and expertise are needed in other areas of the business too. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering the never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire with Electric acting as your IT department. You can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Back when I worked at the law firm, I was that guy. I was always doing IT for everyone in the office, and it was a real pain in the neck because it made it harder for me to get my legal work done. Quite often, I was working late nights and weekends because I was too busy doing other people's IT, and that's really not acceptable. It would have been awesome to have something like Electric at that time to handle these questions for me so I could get back to my work. If you're feeling the same way, you should go check out Electric today. And for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. So just think about that. Not only do you get out of doing other people's IT work, you can put those cool cans on your ears so they know you're busy and they don't bug you. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric, E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash M-P-U. Go there now and get that free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for a qualifying meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So David, what are you playing with these days? 
Uh, we, I am playing with SketchUp. Um, you know, one of the things I talked at the beginning of the show, how like my life is, is great right now. Up until about 20 years ago, I was an avid woodworker. I made a lot of the furniture in my house. I made furniture as gifts. And it was just a huge like distraction for me or a way to like, you know, I liked working with my hands. And then there was a point where like I got really busy being a dad, being a lawyer. Then the Max Sparky stuff started to grow. And we also had my wife at that point had left her job. She took a hiatus from Disney to stay home and be a mom. But she started like a home business that took over the garage space. So for just a bunch of reasons, I stopped woodworking. And it was as soon as I stopped being a lawyer, like immediately, I had no intention of when I we did the show where I announced I was no longer a lawyer. This wasn't on my mind in the slice. Within a month, it was like, oh, you know, I'd really like to start doing that again. So um I've been spending time like kind of researching how things have changed. And I am a, what you call a hand tool woodworker. I prefer kind of working with traditional hand tools over power tools because it's just, it's more fun for me. And this is a fun thing. I'm not doing it to, you know, open a furniture shop, but, um, but I also wanted to see how the tech had changed. And I started looking at um, design software and I have landed with SketchUp and I know it's been around a while, but it's a subscription-based app, and it you know we talked earlier about you know Electron and and you know Swift UI. This is an app that you literally run out of a web browser. I mean, it's like <laughs> the worst of all solutions. But uh, I signed up for a year of it. I subscribed for a year, and I've had fun just kind of toying with you know layout and design. I find that if I design something first, I find a lot of mistakes that I would have made in the shop later. So I've been having fun with SketchUp and they just released an iPad app, which is an iPad app. It's not a, uh, a web view of a, of an app as far as I can tell. And, uh, it's kind of nice. And I, I know, um, there may be people out there that are more experienced with this that may write me and tell me I should have gone with some other platform. I'd love to hear from you if you've got something you're really excited about, but for basic building of furniture and boxes and clocks and the kinds of things I make SketchUp seems like kind of a nice mix um, not too difficult to use and and it has a good output, but it's been kind of fun playing with a new category software. I haven't had really an excuse to use design software. When I was doing the layout of my new studio, I used Home Design 3D, which is an iPad and now Mac app, which is great for like kind of doing rough layout. And I was able to give that to the architect, but for more detailed drawings I'm doing of wood projects, uh, I think SketchUp might be the solution for me. So you go into uh, design SketchUp and you start putting something together. Like, what's the output from that? Is it is it a model that you're looking at as you work? Can you slice something up? Like, yeah, you can do all that stuff. It's 3D because I historically the way I did design was with a piece of paper and a pencil, you know, and I would I would draw the um, the views top side front views. Occasionally, I would try to draw a 3D view, but I, I was never very good at it. And then um, I would do dimensioning, like, like I made a standing desk for my office. And um, I just got some MDF, which is medium density fiberboard, and I cut it into strips. And I clamped the strips together just to see the size physically. Like one of the things you do for a standing desk is the rule of thumb is you build the height as high as your elbow, you know. And, um, when I didn't need it anymore, cause I was a lawyer from home, I have a, 
a, a dear friend who is also a lawyer and I gave it to him, but he's taller than me. So I've never talked to him about it, but his, uh, his standing desk is a little low for him. <laughs> but so, so that I would just do it kind of very like, you know, kind of old school. So doing uh, design and, and CAD seems really fun to me. And I really have no interest in like, you know, CNC and like woodworking. And a lot of this stuff has got to the point now, like where you design something and a computer makes it for you. I mm-hmm. don't want to do that, but, but I do like, like drawing out the joinery and just kind of seeing how it all fits together. And, and I haven't got the wood shop fully operational yet. Cause my wife still hasn't finished cleaning the garage for me. <laughs> so this has given me a, a diversion as I wait to start that hobby up again, that, and I'm cleaning a lot of drawers. <laughs> I like it. What about you? What are you doing? Uh, yeah. So a couple of things. Um, the, the big one is I've really spent the month of April. I set a goal at the beginning of the month that I wanted to close all of my Apple watch rings every day, which I've never had a perfect month. I've come close a few times, but I really kind of wanted to have a, a focus on, on that in the month of April. And so I've spent a lot of time, uh, in the fitness app on the, on the watch. And, and honestly, it's been, it's been pretty great. Um, I think that Apple's come a long way in, uh, in those features. And I think that having, um, having things like the, the competitions has been fun. So I've been competing with Mike as well, uh, with Mary, my wife. And, uh, I think that's like laid out pretty well and it makes a lot of sense the way it's put together. And, it was just been a, a reminder too of like how um really like how good the health kind of health kit system is in iOS where I can use Strava or Fitbod, which is sometimes sponsor, or Apple's own workouts app on the watch, or those apps on the phone. And all that data ends up in the same place. So I can look at all on the health app, I can look at all on the fitness app. It all counts towards the rings each day where like Apple's kind of built an ecosystem to supply data to this. It's not just you have to use Apple's workout app or Apple's fitness service to utilize what the watch did before a bunch of that stuff came along and it's gone really well. And, uh, and you know, as you said, that something occurred to me because it's so popular now to say Apple doesn't know not know how to make software, you know, uh, because there's all these complaints. We did a show not so long ago where we talked about apps that need attention mm-hmm. and this is you know exhibit a proving that apple does know how to make great software i mean all the fitness stuff just works it's just they need to put more attention or get more people i don't know what the answer is but they know how to do it they just need to to do it on more more of their products yeah yeah i think so it, it feels like uh that all feels very uneven with an apple right yeah. Uh, that some things like really are knocked out of the park and other things are just left on the side of the road for dead. And I don't and I, understand. I work is rock solid. <laughs> you know, the fo- the camera app, which we covered is, is awesome. The fitness stuff is innovative. It's like, come on, just bring, you know, people bring people with that kind of passion to all those projects. Yep. So yeah, there there's kind of that fitness world. And then on the Mac, I've been playing with an app called Raycast, which is a launcher a la Alfred or Spotlight or LaunchBar. And we're going to talk about Raycast in a future episode. I really plug it here to be like, if you have questions about Raycast, maybe let us know in the thread for this episode in the forums or send us an email. Uh, Because it's kind of new on the scene and it has some different ideas about 
what a launcher can do on the Mac. And it's been fun to explore it. Yeah. Steven and I are both using Raycast full time. I think I am. Yep. At least. And I have been for two weeks now. And we're going to eventually cover that in the show. And this is an alternative to Alfred and LaunchBar. Um, so it's if you want to play along, give it a shot and um, and let us know your questions because we will be talking about it. Well, that about does it for today's show. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, NetSuite, Square, Squarespace, and Electric. If you want to weigh in on the forums, you can do that at talk.macpowerusers.com. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users, and we will see you next week.